Hi there, it's uh, great to be together um, online. It's great to see everything the church is doing right across uh, 1066 country. Church is very much open, which is absolutely wonderful. I think that this season creates a real opportunity for us to be creative, to think about how we're doing church, to think about how we're working, um, which is absolutely wonderful. But I also know that this season also is very difficult for very many of you. Um, I know some of you that are self-isolating for 12 weeks and you're wondering how on earth are you going to survive that length of time. We just want you to know um, at the start, I want you to know at the start of this preach that you're not on your own. Um, That as a church we very much care for you. Uh, We are family together. We want to connect with you whether that's through connect groups or whether that's through making a phone call, whatever that might be. And we want to help where we can. So please don't remain isolated. Please don't uh, stay on your own. Please um, ask for help. Please make contact with us because we are, we're family together. And we want to do all we can in this season to help one another, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstances we find ourselves um, in. In these days, we've decided to start a new preach series. We're going to be looking at the book of Philippians. It's only a small letter um, hidden away in the middle of the New Testament. It's just four chapters long, but I don't think there's a better place for us to start. Um, I don't think there's a better place for us to look um, in this season than the letter sent to the church at Philippi. It was written by the Apostle Paul, who was in prison. Um, He was in isolation. He couldn't travel. He couldn't see the church's that he loved. It's a letter that's full of difficult circumstances, but it's also a letter that is overflowing with joy. It, it, it flowed from Paul's rejoicing heart, and I think there's much we can learn uh, from him in that. And I believe that as we focus on this letter, we're going to get useful direction on where we should put our attention and where we should focus our energy as we navigate through the coming weeks and months. Although Paul was isolated and unable to travel, he was unable to connect face-to-face, he didn't have the use of a mobile phone or WhatsApp or Zoom calls or Skype, he he didn't have any of that. All, All he could do was write a letter on parchment and send it and it probably took months to get there. But what we find is that Paul's prayers weren't hindered and nor was the gospel. He may be isolated, but it doesn't make him unfruitful. And that's what we're going to look at particularly today um, as we look at the Word of God, as we look at Philippians chapter 1. But I think the whole series is going to be looking at that as well. You may be isolated, but you can still be fruitful. And we're going to see that today in Paul's prayer life, in proclamation, and in praise. So why don't I pray as we start and then we'll uh, take it from there. Lord God, I just want to thank you that you are alive, that you are active, that you are living. I want to thank you, Lord, that you're right now in every living room, in every bedroom, every single person where they're connecting uh, to this live stream right now, Lord God, you are with them. And we uh, thank you so much for it. I pray as I preach your word, as we look at it together, I pray, Lord, that it will be living and active and effective in our lives We ask for that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. 
What we're going to do is we're going to look at the first 18 verses of Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to break it down into three sections. I'm going to explain what's going on in each section, and then we'll look to apply it um, into our lives. So let's look at the first couple of verses. Philippians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, this was written by the Apostle Paul um, probably about 30 years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He was probably in Rome when he wrote it. He was in prison, um, probably living day by day. He wasn't quite certain what the future held for him. He was writing to the church in Philippi, um, which is uh, situated in northern Greece in the province of Macedonia. We find the uh, founding of the church in Acts chapter 16, and you may find that useful to turn there when you've got a little bit of time to see how the church uh, started. And it had been going about 10 years by the point that this letter was written to them. They were a diverse family, a diverse church family. They were made up of a a local businesswoman, um, Lydia, who was one of the first to come to know Christ. But then there was a local jailer and his whole family who were remarkably uh, uh, introduced into Jesus, who got to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And then, then there was slave girl and various other encounters in the early days of the church. And I notice in these first two verses two interesting phrases that describe each and every one of us who follows Jesus. Firstly, we hear that Paul and Timothy were servants of Christ Jesus, and then we find uh, that everyone is described as saints of Christ Jesus. And it's probably good as we start this letter to remember that every single one of us is a servant of Jesus. When we came to know Jesus, he became the Lord of our lives, and um, from that point on, He's, he's the king of our lives. He's the one that we bow to. He's the one that we defer to. I wonder if many of my problems arise from the fact that I forget that actually I'm no longer the king of my life, that Jesus Christ is. But I'm not just a servant. I'm not just a slave of Jesus. I'm also a saint. I'm a holy one. I'm one that's been separated for God and his purposes. I've been separated from sin in order that I might now live for God. And remembering that we're both slaves of Christ and saints of Christ are so just such good foundational things for us to remember at this time. Now let's dive into verses 3 through to 11, um, which, is, which is a long prayer that Paul prays. It starts in thanksgiving, um, and then it moves into request. And at this time of self-isolating and self-distancing, uh, I want to remind you, come on, let's not be isolated from God. Let's not be distant from him. He has no problem with the coronavirus. This is actually an opportunity for us to learn how to pray. Whether that's through joining um, the whole church gathered at the prayer meeting on Wednesday evening, or, or whether that's you bringing in a personal prayer habit day by day, where you start your day in prayer, you start your day in thanksgiving. Let's use this season as an opportunity to learn how to pray, pray to go deeper in prayer. So the Apostle Paul, he actually starts in thanksgiving. Let's read verses 3 through to 8. I thank my God... In all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy 
because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul prays a lot for the church at Philippi. He, he starts this whole little passage by, by saying, In every prayer of mine, I pray with joy. I pray with thanksgiving. And Paul doesn't just pray a lot for them. He, he, he also starts in that thanksgiving. And that's a deliberate decision that he has made. He starts with thankfulness. He starts remembering everything God has done for him, but everything God has done for them as well. And as I've said on a number of occasions over the last few weeks, actually, thanksgiving is absolutely brilliant for our hearts. It, it, it protects our hearts from bitterness. It reminds us of how good God is. It lifts us out of the problems and the difficulties we face, and it lifts our eyes to focus on him. And I just want to encourage you, church, be a thankful church, be a rejoicing church. Be deliberate in that. Why not, as your feet touch the ground in the morning as you get out of bed, train yourself to be thankful, remembering all of the good things that God has given to you. And he rejoices, the Apostle Paul rejoices in the great work of salvation that God has done in the church at Philippi. He, he brings it to mind. He says, he says, this is probably the central verse, certainly, of the preach and maybe of the whole letter. He says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He, he's remembering that, that this wonderful salvation that the Philippians enjoy started in God. It started in God's choosing. It started in his work of salvation. It, it, it continued as God called them from death to life as they started to understand the message, as they were born again, as they were forgiven of their sins. This, this work of salvation started in God, and it will be completed in God as well. Either when we go to be with him, or when Christ comes again, this salvation work will be completed in Christ. And that gave Paul and the church at Philippi confidence that if God started it, and God has promised that he will finish it, how much more will he walk with us day by day through the challenges, the problems, the opportunities that we face in our lives? This is what Paul grabbed hold of. This is what Paul got hold of in his rejoicing. Why don't we do the same? Day by day, why don't we rejoice in our own salvation, but, but also in the work of grace that's taking place in other people's lives as well? Maybe also on a day-by-day -day basis, why don't you, with your faith, grab hold of this promise that if God has started this work in you, he will bring it to completion. He will not let you go at this difficult time. And we're all partakers of the same grace. Just as the Apostle Paul had drunk of the grace of God, so I have drunk of the grace of God, so you also have drunk of the same grace of God. His undeserved kindness and favour available for you in each step that you take. Then he moves from thanksgiving into a request, and he prays this from verses 9 through to 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more 
with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, so you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Now, you may be looking at these verses thinking, cool, they're a bit complicated. In the end, what Paul is praying, he's praying that the church at Philippi will be fruitful. He's praying that they will live lives that are useful to God. He's praying that they will glorify God. And there are four key things within these verses that I just want to pull out. Very, very simple. But, but they're what we need in our lives if we're going to live fruitful lives for God in this season. The first thing Paul uh, pulls out is that they love. They are, they are a loving church. They love God. They love their brothers and sisters in Christ They love those that don't yet know Jesus. They have been filled with God's love, and that love is overflowing to others as well. And so it's good for us to remember that. One of the key (coughs) characteristics for us is that we are a church, we are a people that love. But it doesn't finish at love. Actually, it, it goes on. He talks about how he prays that they will grow in knowledge and all discernment. Another word we could use for that is wisdom. It's not that they're really, really clever. It's not that they get a whole load of GCSEs or they do well and get a degree or a master's or something like that. But he he prays that they will know wisdom, that they will have discernment, they will have knowledge, that they will understand God. They'll understand who he is. They'll understand what pleases God. They'll understand something of their own salvation that God has given for them. And as they understand who God is and what he's done for them, as love works out in their lives, what will it result in these things mixed together? It will result in purity. You see, as we love God and we understand what pleases him, we want to live lives of purity for him. We want to be pure and blameless. We want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. So we find love at work, we find wisdom at work, we find purity at work, And then the last thing that I've already referenced but comes up again in these verses is that we realise as well that Jesus is coming again. That we're only pilgrims, we're just passing through this world. At some point we're going to be boarding a flight, we're going to go and be with God um, forever and we want to please him. We want to be prepared. We want to be ready that when we see him we get the well done, good and faithful servant. And often in the Western world we don't live with a strong understanding that Jesus is coming again. But, but for the church at Philippi, for the Apostle Paul, that was a clear um, understanding that they had Jesus was coming again. And so live ready. Live overflowing with love. L- live growing in knowledge and discernment. Live in purity, full of the fruit of righteousness, knowing that we're going to go and be with Jesus at some point. And so this is what Paul prayed. He prayed with thanksgiving. Then he prayed that the church at Philippi would be fruitful. That's good for us to pray for ourselves. That's good for us to pray for other people as well. And then we find that his prayers turn into proclamation. We find that he starts to get, um, he starts to turn his focus to gospel advance. And we see that in verses 12 through to 18. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. What I notice reading these verses is that Paul doesn't really view his imprisonment or his isolation as being the primary thing. In actual fact, it seems to be the secondary thing. The thing that seems to fill his mind at this point is gospel advance. And even when his personal circumstances get worse because of how people are preaching the gospel, even then he doesn't want them to stop. He wants Jesus to be made famous. Paul's imprisonment has a gospel silver lining. The imperial guards know that Paul is in prison because he's a follower of Jesus, and and Paul's really pleased about that. The church becomes more confident to preach the gospel when they see Paul's boldness. And, And true, some are preaching the right stuff, but for the wrong reasons, to get Paul in trouble, but even then, Paul says, I'm going to rejoice because, because, God, because Jesus is becoming more famous. And I wonder if in this season, in this time, if actually we would do well to remember again the centrality of the gospel. I wonder if there are gospel opportunities for us out there, for us to share with our neighbours and friends that maybe didn't exist before. Now, you may be watching this live stream right now and you're not a follower of Jesus. You wonder, why on earth would someone be willing to go to prison because they follow Jesus? Well, the reason the Apostle Paul was willing to is because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus came to do. The Bible says that there's no other name under heaven or on earth by which people can come to know God, the creator and sustainer of all things. It's only through Jesus Christ that you can come to know God. Jesus said about himself in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way that you can come to know your true life purpose. There is no other way that you can truly come to know the God that made you and cares for you other than through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived And he died on a cross to pay the price for your sin. In order that we, if we accept what he has done for us and put our trust in him, that we can get to know God as our Father. That we can uh, get to know what it is to pray to him and have him hear us and answer us. Jesus truly is the way, the truth and the life. The only way we can get to know God. There is no other way. Now, you may be watching right now thinking, I want to find out more about what it is to follow Jesus. Let me encourage you. Why don't you Google Alpha? If you go on the Alpha website um, from HTV, Holy Trinity Brompton, it's a church, um, there will be loads of material on there that will tell you about what it means to follow Jesus. Why not, why not look that up? Or alternatively, why don't you email us at hello at kings 1066.org. We'd love to start a conversation with you about what it means to follow Jesus, who he is, what he came to do. Why don't you do that today? In this passage, we find that the Apostle Paul 
focused on three big things. He focused on prayer, proclamation, and praise. Can I invite you, why don't you come and join with us when we pray on Wednesday evening at 7.30? Why don't you start a personal prayer habit day by day, maybe once, twice, or even three times a day, just offering up short prayers to God? Why don't you ask? Why don't you ask God to help you to pray? Why don't you invite the Holy Spirit to come and help you with that? As far as proclamation goes, why don't you invite friends, neighbours, relatives to join us at the live stream 10.30 every Sunday? What a great way to check out who God is. What a great way to connect with the church. You can do it from your front room. No one even knows that you're doing it, but you can explore the claims of the Christian faith through it. And why don't we, church, overflow with joy, rejoicing, and thanksgiving for all that God's done, even even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. The Apostle Paul found different reasons to thank and worship God. Church, why don't we also overflow in our thanksgiving and worship to God?